0: You know, right from the beginning of men's history, men have always tried to bargain with God. Try to bargain with God. They did not like the Lord's ways, and therefore they tried to change the Lord's mind. They tried to get the Lord to do it differently. And although it's been there since the beginning of men's history, it's still sadly no different today. Many today want the Lord to change His attitude on sexual immorality, on marriage, on family life. And most important of all, many today want the Lord to change His plan for the salvation of mankind. Many today are telling people that as long as they're good and they go to a church and they try their hardest, they're going to be saved. And men want to propagate this and, and tell people this in their Really, what they're doing is they're going against God's plan for salvation, which is in and through only the Lord Jesus Christ. Men today want to accept their ways and ignore God's ways. They want to move as they want to move and not as God wants to move. But as we've seen in Malachi 3, Hebrews 13 and 8, and many other scriptures, in fact, the Lord changes not He won't change. The Lord won't change. And I've looked at a couple of things that the Lord won't do. And the Lord won't change who He is because He is supreme. He is the ultimate authority in the universe. There is none beside Him, nor is there any greater than Him. His ways are so wonderful that they are above our ways, above our understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And what men can't comprehend then is just accepting God's wisdom. But if men today can't reason it out with what we would term rational thinking, then they don't believe it. But we need to understand, particularly this morning as Christians, God's ways are above man's ways. Each and every one of us, I'm sure, in our Christian life has seen something and thought, I'll do that differently, or I think it would be better done this way. But see, at the end of the day, when we surrender to the Lord is when the Lord fulfills His plans in our lives. Do you know something, church? The greatest of minds, the greatest scientists in their own particular field have all tried to deny Him, have tried to undeify Him, as it were, and even deny His existence. Many scientists today, although you'll not read about it, uh, rather than acknowledging there is a God, the, the latest phrase they're using is there must be a higher authority. And this is their excuses. Men not wanting to acknowledge God. But you see something? All these men with their great wisdom, have come and they have gone. And sadly, so have their ideologies and their wisdom went with them. Because church this morning, God is God and he's God alone. The world can try to ignore him, but the children of the Lord have to put him first in their lives. That's our acknowledgement of who he is. Because you know something, church? God won't settle for part of your life. Your appearance once every so often in the house of the Lord in God's eyes is unacceptable. Read it for yourself. It's in the word of the Lord. God wants all of our lives. Deuteronomy 10 and 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. And of course, a very famous Shema, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The Lord our God is one, and him only shalt thou serve, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Uh, Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now, I've heard many atheists and critics attacking this. Saying God's a a green God full of jealousy. Well the Lord is jealous, but he's jealous for the love of his people. He gave his all for mankind, and he desires that we might love him. The Hebrew word for jealous, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, is and it means one who is jealous. It means the Lord permits no rivals. He is the sole object of human worship. And he does not tolerate the sins of fallen man. The Lord tolerates no rivals or permits no rivals. Now, we might say, well, look, I've never bowed down to an idol. I've never prayed to, to the saints. We can say, we don't pray to Mary. We know Murray's in our grave waiting on the Lord returning. We can say that. But you know, there are different kinds of idols in your life. Your job can be your idol. If your job is more important than the house of the Lord, your job's your idol. And listen to this one. Your family can be your idol. If your family are keeping you away from the house of the Lord, they are your idol. Your hobby can be your idol. We went to lunch last week. I uh, can't remember the name of it. It's up facing Castle Ray of course. You couldn't get into the car park for cars. That's the golf course car park. If that is their hobby, that is their life, then that is their idol. God permits no rivals. God has to be first, and he won't change who he is. He wants to be first in your life, and if you want the blessings of God in your life, God has to be first. If you're a part-time soldier, a weekend soldier, I told you before I was in the TA as a young man, Five days a week, I was a plant engineer working for Caterpillar. But on a Sunday, I was up in Clonaber Park learning how to fight the Russians one day a week. And you know, a lot of Christians are like that. They come up and they worship the Lord on a Sunday and the rest of the week, they've just no interest. God won't change. He wants to be first in your life. And if you acknowledge that, He will bless your life. He will pour His Spirit Upon you. Another thing the Lord won't do is change His mind. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, what about Nineveh, brother? The Lord did decide not to punish Nineveh. Well, I would suggest you read it again because the Lord gave them an opportunity to repent, and they did. He didn't change His mind in any way. His mind was set. The option was given for Nineveh to repent and they would be forgiven. Repent not, and they would have been destroyed. God doesn't change his mind. And down through history, as I've said, men have tried to persuade the Lord to change his mind. Do things our way. You know, there's almost a belief in these people that they know better than the Lord. Really, seriously, think about that in your life. If God's doing something and you think he's doing it wrong, listen to what you're actually saying. I know better than you, Lord. This is a better way of doing it, Lord. Lord, this is how it should be done. You know something? That's an insult to the Lord and His supreme authority. For me, it's a lack of faith when you think the Lord has got it wrong. It is a lack of faith. It is pride beyond pride when someone thinks that they can do the Lord's work a better way. You know something? The Lord won't change his mind to suit men and their desires and their wants. For Christians, there's only one way to do things, and that's the Lord's way. There's only one way to do things, and that's the Lord's way. Men today, just as they have been, as I've said down through time, by nature are sinful, lustful, and selfish. And what the Lord says is wrong, is wrong, whether men like it or not. We can't make excuses because the Lord himself is quite explicit when he's saying as good as good and evil is evil. Men say it the opposite way around. Isaiah 5 verse 20, a well-known verse. One to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Church, society today, and in particular, the millennium generation out in the world, they have been taught that their way is the right way. And if anybody disagrees with them, they're bigots, or they'll put a negative social uh, label on you. Homophobic, xenophobic, all kinds of phobics. But you know something? In the world today, God and his ways are irrelevant to, the, to, to people today outside of the house of the Lord. And do you know why it's irrelevant? Because it challenges their lifestyles. They want God to change his mind and the things that God said are wrong. But God will not change his mind to suit men. Men need to turn from their wicked ways and turn to the Lord and God will forgive them. Men are more or less asking God to change his ways and therefore they're asking God to condone sin. Well, I'm telling you something, the Lord won't condone sin. We're told today that the Lord understands men God understands their weaknesses and therefore he does not condemn them because of their sins. One individual I was reading in the nature nurture debate, uh, he tries to say people are people and who they are by nature. Well, I don't believe the word of God teaches that. We are who we are, I believe, by nurture. And people don't understand what you mean by that and they go on and blame mothers for the way men turn out. It's absolute nonsense. it's it's the influences on your life and how you accept them influences, how you reject them influences, make you the person you are. And men with their sinful nature, they reject the ways of God. And so therefore they are sinners and they want God to condone their sins. But you know something? The Lord condemns no one. Men condemn themselves by sinning against the Lord. God rejects no one, as we'll see in a moment. Men reject God. What's the television program where this individual asks, why is God, if he's going to come back, letting all these people die and go into a lost eternity, and as he put it, to burn in the hell fire for eternity? But you know the answer to that is, God's not letting them do it. They are letting themselves do it, because they're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior they're rejecting God's way of salvation and they're rejecting God's way of saving man. <clears throat> God hates sin, Psalm 5 and 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness and no evil dwells with you. Isaiah 59 and 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear Church, we, and especially the world, we need to look at ourselves, especially if we believe that the Lord's not there. if We think God's got it wrong. We start to blame others. Because we're not getting blessed in our lives, it's someone else's fault. We need to look at ourselves. You know, if you're not enjoying the presence of the Lord, it's not anybody else's fault. It's you who feels like that. Others are enjoying the presence of the Lord, and you're depriving yourself. No one is depriving you from the presence of the Lord, Church. I've been in services where I've been nearly in tears worshiping the Lord. Such is the presence of the Lord. And I've spoke to someone after the service, and they've complained about the heat or the sound or somebody wasn't singing right. They're just depriving themselves. Even we're in the presence of the Lord, or well, when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I just try and put everything out of my mind and worship the Lord. And that's why I enjoy the presence of the Lord. And you can enjoy that presence of the Lord when you just hand over to Him <coughs> and not deprive yourself of His presence. God, as I've said, won't change. Our bitterness, if we harbor it, will only keep us separate from enjoying God's presence. Our unforgiveness for other people will hold us back from the presence of the Lord. And so it's not the person sitting beside you's fault if you're not enjoying the presence of the Lord because you won't forgive someone. It's your fault and you need to get right with God. And the wonderful thing is, although man can't forgive, God won't withhold forgiveness from a penitent heart. That's wonderful, church. Men will condemn those who believe they, they believe have sinned. They want them ostracized. They want them put out and punished. But you know, God is merciful. God is merciful. It says in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. You know, men will condemn you but God won't, when with a true penitent heart you turn to the Lord. I remember, uh, it's a good 25 years ago, maybe more, and I wasn't even in full-time ministry at the time, I was an elder, and I went out. uh, Pastor Conley had asked me to go out and visit some of the folks. But anyhow, I went into this house, and this lady, who's sadly passed away herself, but she'd fallen out with another lady in church, and she thought it was wrong that this lady should be on the platform. And I asked, well, why should she not be on the platform? And she said, oh, it must be 25, 30 years ago she did such and such a thing. And I couldn't believe it. She just refused to forgive. And it wasn't even anything to do with her. And we spoke, and I showed her the Word of God, and hopefully, God, as the seed was planted, uh, melted her heart. But you know, that's not God. That's not God. Men will condemn, but God will forgive. You know, the real truth is no matter what you've done, when you ask forgiveness, you receive it. I remember a young lady asked me once, Will God forgive the Yorkshire Ripper? Well the Bible says yes. If he's truly repentant of what he did, he'll certainly suffer for what he did. But God will forgive. You see, there's no grades in sin. If you steal a pound, you're a thief. If you steal a million pounds, you're a thief. I remember listening, I don't know if you've ever heard, I would really recommend you do uh, listen to it. It's on YouTube. The testimony of Sister, I think her name was Grace. And she was saying that she was taught as a child, it was okay if you stole under $100. It wasn't a sin. Now, I know within the Catholic Church that's wrong, but wherever she went, she was taught this. And that's what people think. There we minimum sins, that, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. And great sins, well, they're too bad. We can't forgive you. But God forgives a penitent heart. We can condemn ourselves, which sometimes is worse, and wonder how the Lord for, could forgive us. I've spoken to many people, even on their deathbed. Brother, how could the Lord forgive me? That was their question. Some of them told me what they did. I told them, I'm not a priest. You don't need to confess to me, confess to the Lord. But you know something? Trying to convince them that God forgives when we seek forgiveness. His mercy far outstretches. Don't use your human rationale when it comes to forgiveness. I told you this before, I'll never forget uh, Bobby Clulow. Bobby is a relative of Hugh Sloan, Sister Sally Simpson. He's married married to Sally's sister. But I went up to visit Bobby in hospital. No harm to uh, Bobby. He couldn't sing a note. Oh, boy, he's awful. <laughs> Talk about tone deaf. <laughs> but at the top of his voice, when I come out of the lift, now you, in the, the Ulster Hospital, when you come out of the lift, you go into one of the wards, either right or left, and there's Bobby singing at the top of his voice, who is a pardoning God like thee? And that was on his deathbed. He was terminally ill. And you know why he could do that? Because for many visits before that, I talked to him and told him, God forgive him. And he used to say, but sure, I haven't went to church and I haven't really been a good, and he's gone about things he, he wasn't good at. But see, when he got that realization that God has forgiven him, the world couldn't keep him quiet. <laughs> the world, in fact, the, the, the people in the other beds thought he was great. Uh, just sitting there singing away. Waiting to die, but worshiping the Lord. You see, that's the release when you accept God's forgiveness. You know, I know even in this building, they say, I remember reading a book uh, by a, a pastor friend of mine from America, and he was saying, In every church, there's people who can't accept God's forgiveness. Accept it this morning. Don't listen to the word. God won't turn you away, God will forgive you if you feel that you've done wrong. If you feel you're not worthy and you've failed the Lord, always remember many things are failures, but you're not a failure. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Failure is an event. It's not a person. I have made mistakes in my life. My goodness, I couldn't count how many I've made. But you know something? God restores. God brings back. And He won't refuse to give us forgiveness. When we truly repent and true repentance, brothers and sisters, not Adam's repentance. You know, it's not my fault, it was the woman you gave me's fault. Accept responsibility. It's a thing in society today, my own personal views, which wrong almost society, it's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I spoke to young men in prison, used to go in with ADD and I. And nearly every one of them it was somebody else's fault that they were in Hyde Bank. You know, they stole cars, broke into houses, sold drugs, but it was somebody else's fault. We need to accept responsibility and then seek forgiveness, and God will forgive us. But not only that, not only will God forgive, God will forget. And that is hard to comprehend, isn't it? When we are forgiven, our sins are wiped out. There's no record. In the Lord's eyes, it is as if they never happened, Isn't it? Romans 8 says that we are justified. Therefore being justified. There's therefore, sorry, no condemnation. That's what the word I was trying to think of. Romans 8 and 1. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful church. I know you could maybe speak to many people from my past and they'll tell you things that I got up to as a young man. But you know something? If you speak to the Lord, it never happened. It's gone. It's wiped clean. God forgives. This is why the psalmist rejoiced when he repented. He said, Lord, be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. You know, church, when we sin, we need to realize that. We sin against the Lord. But then after receiving and accepting the forgiveness of the Lord, he cried with a loud voice, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 32, he said, "'Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, "'whose sin is covered. "'Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, "'and in whose spirit there is no guile.'" Church, the devil wants you and me to think, excuse me, that we are not worthy, and therefore the Lord will not forgive us if we fail. He'll remind you of your faults, of your failures. When you know something, nothing is further from the truth. Because God is rich in mercy. And God is here to restore us, not destroy us. Luke nine fifty six: for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And that wonderful verse in John 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn you and me. He came to save his church. And he'll forgive us when we turn to him. The world will rejoice when a Christian makes a mistake. Really saddens me at the moment, a very well-known church. Again, I don't know what's going on. It's none of my business. But I'm praying for them. But it saddens me to hear Christians rejoicing. Oh, I knew that would happen up there. God forgive you. Let's pray for them. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, the church of God, should seek to restore people. Bring them back into the arms of the Lord. Galatians 6 and 1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, what does that say, church? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. Restore such a one. Church, if someone makes a mistake, and to come back to the house of the Lord, we shouldn't ask them to leave. We should be putting our arm around them. And certainly if they're genuine in their repentance, helping them get back on their feet with the Lord. Speaking to a pastor yesterday, and it was actually Pastor Alan Patton, and he was telling me about a girl who's just joined our church and she's been asked to leave two other churches before she came to Allen. Church, that's wrong. I mean, this girl wasn't being disruptive or anything. There was a little mental health problem, which wasn't a big problem. But that's so sad. When someone comes hurting, let's bind up their wounds. You find somebody in the Jericho Road, don't walk past them. Bind up their wounds. Make sure they're okay. And get them back to the Lord. Amen. Another thing God won't do, God won't make you rich, if you give with a wanting heart and not a willing heart. You know, a great lie goes out today. Great lie. Church, of the Lord desires a willing heart, not a wanting heart. And There are many today who will tell you that if you give to the Lord, he will return unto you tenfold. Yes, he will. He will. But not if that's, you're coming to the church and saying, there's a tenner, Lord, By tomorrow I want a hundred pounds. That's a wanting heart. A willing heart is someone who gives to the Lord. Willingly. Not looking something in return. Knowing that God will bless them. You know, it's not right. It's not as the Lord sees it. Nowhere in the word of the Lord does it tell us that the Lord is going to make us all rich. It does not say, as I've said, give the Lord ten pound and expect a hundred pound back. Because... We tend to read this and others are reading this and saying it comes back in monetary value. It doesn't. God's blessings are not all about money. When you give to the Lord, God can bless you in so many different ways. Don't insult the Lord by saying, Lord, you promised me riches that I give unto you. I heard of one gentleman and he gave a substantial sum to the church and about four or five months later, I don't know the correct time, but he went spoke to the pastor and he wanted his money back. The pastor asked him, why do you want your money back? And he says, well, you told me that the Lord would give me tenfold. I haven't received a penny yet, so he wanted his money back. You know, I mean, we might look at that and say, oh, it's only in America. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, you promised me. God didn't promise you riches. You know, church, we're blessed beyond belief. We really are. i tell you a simple thing. I was sharing it with the folks in Glen and Tarhouse this morning was filling my bottle of water, as I do on a Sunday morning to bring and Keep, stop my mouth from going dry. I'm going to have to do it now. Hold on. And I don't know about you, but first thing in the morning, I like like to let the water run a wee bit just to clear the pipes. Just as I was watching the water, I thought about when Jean and I were with the Bacot tribe in Kenya. And the, the young girls in the local Village where we were near, they walk three or four miles to a river to get some water. And goodness knows what's in that river. They do this every morning. And then they walk three or four miles back to the camp. And I look, now I'm standing, letting the water run and just drain away. And I thought, Lord, we are so blessed. We just don't know it. You know, I looked at the roof over my head, the wonderful family that God's given me, the wonderful church that God's put me in. We are so blessed. That's what God blesses you with. It's not all about the money, church. And if it's all about the money for you, well, seriously, my opinion is you need to get before the Lord here and ask him to just melt your heart. God's blessings, he, won't, he does bless those with, with, with money. Brother Gunny's testified about that from the mission field, there's no doubt. But look, if you're giving 10 pound or 100 pound and wanting 1,000 back, no harm to you. You're given for the wrong reasons. The Lord blesses those who trust in him. It shows God's hand in your life. I'll rush on here in a wee second. The thing that the Lord won't do, he won't go back in his word. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. And just as I read that, I thought about that. For his honor and glory, the Lord will never go back on his word. The Lord will never go back on his word. Men will change their minds. Men will constantly change their minds. But God doesn't. Because when he makes a decision, it's the right decision. Because he is, as I said, the ultimate authority and the one, the font of all knowledge. God won't go back on his word, God won't give up on anyone. You know, it's into the forgiveness too when you think about this. God won't give up on you. You've slipped and fell. God wants to restore you. He's like the the prodigal father standing waiting to bring you back into the flood. God won't give up on anyone. God won't turn a blind eye to the persecution of his people. You know something? When you attack God's people, the word of God says you're attacking God. When you attack God's people, you're attacking God. And the world needs to understand that. And Christians need to understand that, particularly in these last days, as I personally think things are going to get worse as the the, the days draw near to the Lord's return. And we've got to understand, when you attack God's people, you attack God. You know, like a father, if someone attacked one of my children, I'd be in there looking after them how much more our Heavenly Father would look after us. God won't be swayed by greed and self-promotion. you and have seen it so often, self-promotion. Men open doors for themselves, but it's only when God opens a door that you'll be blessed. I've seen so many people, wonderful people, and yet in patience they've tried to open their own door and it's destroyed them. And I mean that it has destroyed an real lovely <clears throat> young man was serving in a church and just decided to start his own church. And it's destroyed him because he was never called to a ministry. He's never called to a ministry. You know something, church, you can be different things for the Lord. In fact, the Lord is a fivefold ministry. He gives on to the church pastors, teachers, evangelists, and these things, they're all separate ministers. I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor. And they're different ministries. I would flop and fall if I tried to be an evangelist. And I wouldn't try to push open a door to make me, well, if God opens the door, obviously, but we need to understand God won't be swayed. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And finally, I'll go back to God won't change his mind. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for these last days. Do you know what that plan and that purpose is? Turn to the book of Joel. In the last days, Joel 2, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You see, that's God's plan. There's people, you can hear them, and you see them commenting on Christian websites, and we want to see people healed. We want to see people saved. We want to see the church growing and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And church, I say it every week, they have no interest in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And if you want to see miracles in this church, then we need the Holy Spirit to rain down upon us. We want to see people saved and brought into this church. We've looked at it recently. It's only the convicting power of the Holy Ghost is going to do it. And how is that going to come? When God's people pray and seek his face. God's not going to change his mind. That's his plan. That's his action plan for the Latter-day Church. To empower them with the Holy Ghost. To empower them with the Holy Ghost. God's not sending us into battle with the wrong weapons. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news recently and they're saying that's why uh, Ukraine soldiers are defeating the are outnumbered yet defeating the Russian soldiers because the equipment the Russians have is useless, and they're abandoning it and leaving it. But you know something, God's not standing us in the battle ill-equipped. He is giving us the Holy Ghost. And whenever we seek the power of the Holy Ghost, then we will see God moving in our lives. We will see, brothers and sisters, I'm convinced, because I believe God can heal. I believe God can change lives. I believe God can melt people's hearts. But I believe I can't do it. And no no offense to my, my fellow elders, I don't believe you, brethren, can do it. But I believe God can do it. Amen? I believe God can do it. And when we, not just the oversight of the church, when the church pray and seek the face of the Lord, pray fervently, pray believing, Praying, knowing that God wants to do this. God wants to bless you. Not so that you can boast and talk about how wonderful church is. So that we can see the move of God in our church. So that we can see the change in people's lives. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. You know, we can sit down and plan everything. But church, tell me I'm wrong, but I'll show you from the Bible and I'm right. Without the Holy Ghost, we're nothing. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need God to move in our lives. And it'll be a ripple effect. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're worshiping and praising, it'll be contagious. Others will want it. You know, God definitely moves by his spirit in here. I'm not saying we don't have the Holy Ghost, but more people should be seeking God's move by His Spirit in and among us. Church, God's not going to change His mind and do it the way we want it done. He's going to do it the way He wants it done. And the Word of God, the Bible, the ultimate authority for any Christian says, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Do you agree with me these are the last days? Amen, then you've got to agree that God wants to empower you with power from on high. Musicians, could you come back? We'll leave it there for now.